We're in Revelation chapter 19 today. We've been walking through the book of Revelation now for some time, maybe 17 weeks or so. When we started this journey, I was praying for a number of things to happen. One, I wanted, of course, God to be glorified in all of that. That's what we always pray toward. Secondly, I wanted you and me to see Jesus in the book of Revelation. I think a lot of us had experienced maybe a, a walk through the book at some point in our life and and, and maybe didn't really feel like we encountered Jesus. We kind of got down into the weeds of the details and sort of missed what the whole book was really all about. And so I've wanted us and prayed that we would encounter the Lord. And another thing, the third thing that I've really prayed for through this journey together is that we would come away from this better knowing and, and appreciating the book of Revelation. A lot of us, I, even myself included, uh, on the front side of this, kind of felt a little intimidated about this book, a little overwhelmed, felt like it was sort of beyond our uh, ability to grasp it and understand it. And the Holy Spirit has been such a good, good teacher uh, to us on this journey through this book. And so I praise the Lord for how He's answered those prayers through this journey. So before we get into Revelation 19, let's just kind of walk our way into Revelation 19 by starting all the way back at Revelation chapter 1. First eight verses, John really just sort of introduces the book and sets up the book. And then beginning in verse 9, John has this glorious vision of Jesus. Jesus is robed in gold. His hair is gleaming white. His eyes are like fire. His feet is like burnished bronze. His voice is like the sound of many cascading waters. He's holding seven stars in his hand and he's walking among seven golden lampstands, which represent the seven churches that then he's going to address in Revelation chapter two and three, which is exactly what he does in those two chapters. He affirms those churches. He admonishes those churches, the things that ought to be better. He admonishes, he applauds the things that are good and right and honoring and pleasing to him in those churches. And then we're transported from earth to heaven. In Revelation chapter 4, we get this beautiful, breathtaking vision of the throne room of God. And God the Father is seated on his throne, surrounded by 24 elders, four great magnificent creatures on each and every side. Their sound of peals of thunder and sights of lightning flashes. And he's holding in his hand this scroll that is sealed with seven seals. What that scroll is, it is the title deed to all of creation. When we get to Revelation chapter 5, the Bible tells us that they say, who is worthy to break the seals and open that scroll? And it says there that none was found worthy in heaven or on earth to break the seals and open the scrolls. And John begins to weep because he realizes if nobody can break those seals and open that scroll, then we're stuck in this madness. We're stuck in this chaos. We're stuck in this sin. There is no hope in sight. And in the middle of his weeping then one of the elders says to him dry it up son you can stop your weeping behold listen the lion of the tribe of Judah he has overcome and he's worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll and then we have this magnificent scene of the Lord Jesus Christ who looks like a lamb that has been slain but he is more alive than you and I can imagine and he ascends to the throne of his father and he takes the scroll the title deed from the right hand of his father chapter 6 he begins to break each of those seals one at a time. First seal is, is bogus peace, the rider on a white horse. Second seal, red horse, global war. Third seal is famine. 
fourth seal is the pale horse death. Fifth seal is the prayer of vengeance from the saints beneath the altar of God. Sixth seal, cosmic collision, earthquake, sun becomes dark. Men and women are begging to die, but they cannot die. Praise the Lord in chapter 7. God lets us catch our breath a little bit. And we're introduced to the 144,000 that he's preserving through the seven years of tribulation to be his witnesses. We're also introduced in chapter 7 to the multitude, men and women from every tongue and tribe and nation. They've lost their lives for the sake of Christ. During the tribulation, they're gathered around the throne giving praise to God. Chapter 8, that seventh seal is broken and that ushers in the breaking of the next group of judgments, the trumpet judgments. We get trumpet 1, 2, 3, and 4 in that chapter. Chapter 9, we get trumpet judgment 5 and 6. And then chapter 10, we get to catch our breath again. And we're introduced to this enormous angel that's standing there and he gives John a small scroll and he says take this and eat it and John says it's bittersweet for us that's how the judgment of God is to us it is it is bittersweet it's sweet to us because we don't receive that judgment because Jesus already received our judgment for our sin at the cross so it's sweet because we're saved we're rescued we're redeemed but it's at the same time bitter because we all know men and women and people that we have friendships with, relationships with, perhaps even in our own family. They've not yet said yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will stand before Him in judgment as sinners condemned. So yes, it is bittersweet. Then chapter 11, we're introduced to the two witnesses that are preaching the gospel on the earth during the seven years of tribulation. We see their murder in the streets of Jerusalem. The whole world has a party because these preachers of the gospel are dead. People are exchanging gifts on that day to celebrate. But then God raises them on the third day and every eye in the world beholds these two witnesses standing alive resurrected now in the street we not only see them there but we also hear the blasting of that seventh trumpet chapter 12 we're introduced to the main characters of the seven years of tribulation we're introduced to the woman who represents Israel she's pregnant with the child who represents Jesus the Messiah and she's constantly being harassed by this great red dragon that represents Satan chapter 13 we got introduced to the the Antichrist to the false prophet and to that infamous mark of the beast 666 chapter 14 we got a glorious moment in chapter 14 the Lamb of God showed up again in chapter 14 chapter 14 is a preview of victory a preview of the end then chapter 15 is celebration celebration because the final judgments the bold judgments are about to be poured out chapter 16 those final bold judgments are poured out seven of them and at the end of chapter 16 you're really at the end of the tribulation all the judgments have been poured out. Chapter 17 is just a rearview mirror look backwards at how God has brought Babylon, or in other words, the religious system underneath the power of Antichrist, how God has brought that to ruin. Chapter 18 is a rearview mirror looking back at how God has brought Babylon, the political, the military, the social, the economic system under the Antichrist, how God has brought that to ruin. And today we get to Revelation chapter 19, praise the Lord, and Revelation. Revelation chapter 19 is celebration in heaven. Think about this. You and I are about to read history that hasn't happened yet. As sure as I'm standing here, though, it's going to happen. What we're about to read today from Revelation chapter 19, the somber tone 
that we have heard all the way through the book of Revelation. Today, that somber tone is transformed into a song of celebration, a song of praise. These dark and gloomy days of judgment that we've been walking through over these weeks, today those days of judgment are transformed into days of blessing for the people of God. Chapter 19 today ushers in the greatest event that this planet is ever going to experience because chapter 19 is about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into this world to set up His kingdom and reign forevermore as King of all kings and Lord of all lords. The first half of chapter 19 is all about what John hears with his ears. The second half of chapter 19 is all about what John sees with his eyes. So let's begin by talking about what is it that John hears with his ears and what he hears... Is an epic song, a beautiful, magnificent song about Jesus. And by the way, if you're born again today, you're saved today, you're a child of God by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, you're in this passage of Scripture. You say, sometimes I'll hear people say, man, I wish I lived in Bible days. We are living in Bible days. I think we're living in the most exciting of Bible days. You and I are living in the end of days. We are in exciting days, and we ought to be thankful to the Lord that He has chosen to allow us to be His people for such a time as this. And we come to chapter 19, we're gathered together with these saints, and we are singing this song too. With our collective voices, we're going to be praising Jesus and celebrating everything that belongs to Him. For so long, it has seemed that this world has belonged to Satan. In those seven years of tribulation, it's going to seem that this world belongs to the Antichrist, but this fallen world and its empire in chapter 19, under the leadership of the unholy trinity, Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet, in chapter 19, they are heaving their final breaths. They are laying in the smoldering ashes of ruin because the undiluted fury of the wrath of God has now been completely poured out on them, and Jesus himself is coming onto the scene in chapter 19 to cash in that title deed that he took out of the hand of his father all the way back in Revelation chapter 5. Can you tell your pastor's a little excited today to be in Revelation chapter 19? I am and I hope that you are too. And as Jesus comes for the second time to this earth, we're going to sing. We're going to celebrate. and We're going to sing about all that belongs to Jesus. And I want to tell you six things that we're going to be celebrating and singing about that belongs to Him. Number one is this. We're going to sing that salvation belongs to Him. Salvation belongs to Him. Look at chapter 19, verse 1. John says, after this. Two little words, but they say so much, don't they? After this, after a world full of sin and brokenness and decay and division and death and depression and disunity, after seven years of tribulation, after seven seals, trumpets, seven seal judgments, after seven trumpet judgments, after seven bowl judgments, after seven years, after this, John says. I want to remind you, by the way, there is an after this. I don't know what your this is today, but I want you to be encouraged today. There is an after this that's coming. If I were to ask you today, what is it today that is your source of discouragement? What is it today that's your source of sorrow? What is it today that is your source of despair? Everybody in this room could point at something and say, Pastor, it's this. I want to remind you today that there is an after 
this. Your story is not going to stop. It's not going to end at this. There is an after this. John says, after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out. I think this multitude is men and women from every tongue and tribe and nation gathered together. This is including us around the throne of God. These are the people that have come to know God by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. By the way, there is no other way to come to know God. There's no other way to have a relationship with God. No other way. You can't work your way to that relationship. You can't be religious and get a relationship. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. We're gathered together with these saints in heaven, all the angels, all the angelic creatures that God has ever created. We're standing there celebrating and singing as King Jesus is mounting on this white stallion in glory. And he's, he's preparing to ride it now to planet earth and set up his kingdom in this earth. And we're going to be standing there in awe. And we're going to be celebrating. And we're going to sing. And the first word out of our mouth is going to be this. Hallelujah! Listen, I've been to a lot of countries around the world where I couldn't speak the same language, but when I found people to God in those countries and I'd go to church with those people, there was one word I could always understand, hallelujah. In any language, the word hallelujah is hallelujah. And by the way, hallelujah is a distinctively Christian word. The Buddhists don't say that word. The Muslims don't say that word. The Hindus don't say that word. That's the, that's the children of God's word. That's our word. Hallelujah is two words put together. Hallel, which means boast or praise. And Yah, which is short for Yahweh, God. So boast in or praise God. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, but the New Testament has not uttered that word. Until Revelation chapter 19. It is like the New Testament has been biting its tongue the whole time. Jesus wrapped in flesh, born of a virgin. No hallelujah there. Perfect sinless life. No hallelujah. Died on the cross. No hallelujah. Resurrection from the tomb. No hallelujah. Holy Spirit comes. Gives birth to His church on this earth. No hallelujah. 2,000 years later. No hallelujah. Seven years tribulation, no hallelujah. Tribulation comes to an end. Jesus comes right for his second coming, and heaven unbites and lets it rip. Hallelujah. And glory and power belong to our God. We are going to shout hallelujah, and we're going to sing that salvation belongs to our God. A lot of times as we're reading scripture, we talk about salvation. We're thinking about salvation in terms of justification. God has set me free. He has forgiven me from sin's penalty. I've trusted Jesus. I don't have to go to hell. I get to go to heaven. Praise the Lord. Yes, we're talking about justification. Sometimes when we talk about salvation, we talk about it in terms of sanctification. He hasn't just justified me, but he sanctified me. He hasn't just saved me from sin's penalty, but he is ongoing saving me from sin's power. Moment by moment, day by day, he's increasing my strength in Christ. He's causing to me to grow up in him, to reach the full measure of maturity in Jesus. He's sanctifying me. But when we talk about salvation today in Revelation 19, we're not just talking about justification. We're not just talking about sanctification. We're also talking about glorification. Glorification is the final aspect of our salvation. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. Justification, God sets us free from sin's penalty. Sanctification, He is setting us free from sin's power. Glorification, He's going to set us free from sin's presence. You're not going to struggle with sin anymore. 
You're not going to be tempted. To, you know who my biggest problem is in my life? It ain't you. It's me. That's right. I knew what you meant. The biggest problem in my life is me. It's this old sin nature in me. But one day I'm going to be saved from me. I'm going to be saved from this old sin nature. I'm going to be saved from the presence. I'm not going to have to worry about your sin, my sin. You're not going to have to worry about your sin, my sin. We're going to be free of sin, completely saved from the presence of sin. And this salvation belongs to God. And praise the Lord, He delights, does He not, to offer this salvation to anybody. Anybody. If they'll simply repent and believe. So when He comes, we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate the salvation belongs to the Lord. And not only that salvation belongs to the Lord, but we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate that glory belongs to the Lord. Look at the text, verse 1. Salvation and glory and power belong to the Lord. The whole earth in these seven years has been given glory to Satan. The whole earth in these seven years has been giving glory to the Antichrist. For these seven years, the whole earth has been worshiping, making much of them, exalting them, serving them. But when Jesus comes, we are going to sing a song that declares there is only one that is worthy of glory. We're going to worship Him and Him alone. We're going to make much of Him and Him alone. We're going to exalt Him and Him alone. We're going to serve Him and Him alone because the glory belongs to Him. And we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate that salvation belongs to Him, that glory belongs to Him. Number three, we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate that power belongs to Him. All the power belongs. Salvation and glory and Power belong to our God. We're going to celebrate that any earthly ruler throughout the history of the world that ever had any kind of power at all just had it on loan temporarily from God because it's all his power. It belongs to him. The psalmist says the earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it. Right now, we're watching the Republicans and the Democrats wrestle over who's going to be in power for the next four years. Hey, heads up, Republicans and Democrats, it's not your power. It will be on loan. You're going to be borrowing that from God himself because it's his power. Everything in the earth belongs to the Lord. And we're going to celebrate and we're going to sing that all the power belongs to him both now and forevermore. We're going to sing and celebrate that salvation belongs to Him. Glory belongs to Him. Power belongs to Him. Number four, we're going to sing and celebrate that justice belongs to Him. We hear a lot about justice in our world today, or the lack thereof. Have you considered this regardless today of your opinion? I don't know if you've noticed this, but everybody's got an opinion today. Regardless of your opinion today about peaceful protesters or violent rioters or law enforcement officers or lawyers or judges or the court system or local authorities or state authorities or federal authorities, what we see in our world today is that people want justice. Here's the problem. Most people don't even know what justice is. Because justice belongs to God. And if you don't know God, how do you know what justice is? And this is why our world is in such chaos and disorder. Because we're trying to define and determine and deliberate what is just apart from a knowledge of God. We often hear 
people in the streets. We've heard this for decades, and we certainly are hearing it in the days that we live in. No justice, no peace. That's not a bad phrase. But it's only two-thirds accurate. Uh, let, me, let me help you out. You, did, you started that phrase in the middle. you got to start that phrase at the beginning. The phrase ought to be, no God, no justice, no peace. Because if you don't know God, you don't know justice. And if you don't know God and you don't know justice, you don't have peace. You'll never have peace apart from God. John MacArthur says this, Perfect justice resides with God alone. And humanity struggles to understand that kind of justice. To respect it, to honor it, to execute it. And in the world where light is dark and dark is light and good is bad and right is wrong and bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter, justice is hard-pressed to emerge. Many attempts to define justice only lead to injustice because they reflect the perversion of the human heart. We can have justice departments ad infinitum and never really achieve broad-based true justice. He goes on and says there's 54 categories of laws. No one even knows how many laws there are. To enforce law, there are a million policemen. There are all kinds of threats everywhere, to fines, to execution, and everything in between. There are courts. There's courts in our country. They face 100 million cases a year trying to litigate the law. 400,000 federal courts convene a year with cases. There are 30,000 plus judges. There's 2.5 million people in prison. Millions of personnel. Trillions of dollars to try to restrain man and achieve justice. And all the restrainers have a measure of corruption in their own hearts. Because there's none righteous. No, not one. Man is lawless. He'll do what you let him do, MacArthur says, if not restrained. And in order to try to restrain him, we have countless laws, millions of litigating cases, a million police, spend trillions of dollars. And at the top of the pile is a justice department that we don't trust because it's full of the same kind of mentality as the criminals at the other end of the system. But I got good news for you one day. One day, the king is coming. And he's going to come with justice. A justice like this world has never known. Perfect justice, pure justice, holy justice, righteous justice, incorruptible justice, unbribable justice, because justice belongs to him. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 4 says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just And upright is he. Here's good news for our world today. Listen, church, we got to be telling the world this. Listen, the things that you desire, the things that you long for deep in your heart, the answer is in Christ alone. It's found in the hope of the gospel. Changes and reformations that are man-made and man-driven, they're not going to bring about the deepest desires of your heart. They're found in Christ and in Him alone. And He's coming one day to invade this world with justice, and He's going to reign. Justice belongs to Him. And when He comes with His justice, we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate, aren't we? Revelation 19.2 says, For His judgments are true and just, for He has judged the great prostitute. Who's the great prostitute? That's that old Babylon, that old world system under Satan and the Antichrist. He has judged her who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of His servants. And once more they, by the way that's us cried out hallelujah the smoke from her goes up forever and ever you know why we're going to sing and celebrate the justice of God on that day because we're not on the receiving end of it 
We're going to sing and celebrate that day because instead of justice, what we've gotten in Christ is mercy and grace. Our judgment, justice was poured out for our sin on Jesus at the cross. Listen, you don't want the justice of God poured out on you. If we all got what was just and fair from a holy God, we would all right now be in a sinner's hell. But Because God loved us and gave His Son for us, we've received mercy and grace because Jesus took our place at the cross. Listen, when Jesus comes in all of His glory, we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate because salvation belongs to Him. Glory belongs to Him. Power belongs to Him. Justice belongs to Him. Number five, we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate because sovereignty belongs to Him. Sovereignty. He is in control of all things. Verse 4 says, And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen and Hallelujah. I think that's at least the fourth time now the New Testament is letting it rip, man. Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude count me in like the roar of many waters like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out hallelujah for the lord our god the almighty reigns that's a big word reigns that means this evil world system has been judged it is gone it is done and the kingdom of god has now arrived it has come into this world in all of its glory in all of its fullness and the lord god almighty reigns he is in total control he has reclaimed his creation and he is sovereignly reigning over it and we will sing that we will celebrate that salvation belongs to him and glory belongs to him and power belongs to him and justice belongs to him and sovereignty belongs to him and you know what else we belong to him look at verse 7 let us rejoice and exult And give him the glory. Why? For the marriage. There is a coming together. The marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Who is the Lamb's bride? Who is Jesus' bride? The church. That is me and that is you together joined with Jesus forevermore. The false church of the false prophet of the Antichrist now has been destroyed by God. But in Revelation chapter 19, the true church, the bride of Christ, has emerged in all of her glory. Listen, church, right now, right now, we're betrothed to Jesus. Remember how Mary and Joseph, they weren't really just married yet. They were betrothed to each other. It was a legal thing, right? We're betrothed to Jesus right now. We've been redeemed. That's a legal word. We're legally now, because of what God has declared us to be in Christ, we're now joined legally in the heavens to Jesus. He has done what every good Jewish groom does after a betrothal. He's gone to prepare a place for his bride. And he said, I'll go and prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come again, I'm going to get you. And he's going to come back at resurrection and rapture, and he's going to take us home to that place he's prepared for us. And then he's going to shower us with gifts with rewards. We're going to stand at what's called the judgment seat of Christ. Now, if you're a child of God today, listen, your, your knees are going to be shaking there, but not because you're afraid of what's going to be exposed. A lot, a lot of folks are afraid, man, as a child of God, I'm going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he's going to show all my sin to everybody. How can he do that? He's already judged your sin. He's already cast it as far as the east is from the west. What kind of God's he going to be if he drags that up and says, I know I caused my son to suffer and die for your sin, but let's bring it up and talk about it some more. No, no, no. It's done. The judgment seat of Christ is not a place you're going to stand and be judged for your sin. You're going to be stand there and be judged for the good works that you did while in the body. 
It'll be determined. Did you do them for the glory of the Lord? Did you do them for the honor of the Lord? Did you do them for the honor of yourself and bring glory to yourself? The things you did to bring honor and glory to yourself are going to be burned up like wood, hay, and stubble. What you did in the body for the glory of the Lord is going to come out like precious jewels, gold and silver, refined in the fire. When that time of standing before the judgment seat is over, which is, I think, going to happen during those seven years of tribulation on the earth, that's just kind of what I think is going to be happening. When that seven years of tribulation is over here, and that seven years of standing before the Lord, the judgment seat of Christ is over, we get to Revelation chapter 19, and we're going to move from betrothal to the marriage supper. We're going to be standing there with Jesus as His glorious bride at the marriage supper of the Lamb, the official celebration of our union with Christ. Look at verse 8. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Hey, listen, we're not going to be no ugly bride. I know sometimes right now in the year 2020 of our Lord, we act ugly. We think ugly. We do ugly. We talk ugly. But He's still committed to us. He's still working on us. Paul said, I'm confident of this. He who began a good work, He's going to be faithful to complete it. And by the time we come to the marriage supper of the Lamb, He's completed it. And we're going to be beautiful in His eyes. It says the fine linen that we'll be wearing is the righteous deeds of the saints. We're not only going to be robed in the righteousness of Jesus, we're going to be robed in the righteous deeds that we did for His glory. But don't lose sight of this. Any righteous deed that you do in this world is a good work that He already prepared in advance for you to walk in. So we're not even going to boast in what we did. We're not going to boast in the beautiful garment that we're wearing because even the good works that we do for God, we do by His grace. Verse 9 says, And the angel said to me, Write this. He's talking to John. The angel's talking to John. Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Listen, can you imagine John's taking this in? And this is too much. This is too much for John to take in. John just kind of goes brain dead in verse 10. And John does something in verse 10 that he ought not have done. Verse 10, John says, Then I fell down at his feet. He's talking about the angel. I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the Spirit of of prophecy. In other words, all the prophecy is about Jesus. If we've been walking through Revelation and you got hung up on who is the fourth toe on the right foot of some beast, if that's all you got out of this, you missed it. That's not what it's about. It's about Jesus. If you read the book of Revelation and you don't come to see Jesus more clearly, embrace Jesus more dearly, love Jesus more, then you've missed the whole point of the book of Revelation. That's what John hears in chapter 19 with his ears. We pivot now to what he sees with his eyes, and we don't have time to to go into that today. We'll have to come back to that at a future time real soon, Lord willing. But I'll give you the spoiler, all right? Simply put, the first thing that John sees with his eyes is Jesus. As the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords, follow me here, man. All of heaven is just erupting. It's hallelujah. It's just reverberating 
all throughout heaven. Jesus is mounting up on that white stallion and we are singing and we're celebrating all that belongs to him. We're just standing there in the midst of all. You know what? Let's just go ahead and stand together right now. And let's just read and see with John what he saw beginning in verse 11. Let's pick it up where he says right there, Then I saw heaven. Would you read with me? Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God, and the armies of heaven, I believe this is us, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike. Write down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord Jesus, we don't want to wait to that day to celebrate you. We don't want to wait to that day to sing about you. We do that now. We celebrate that salvation is yours, glory is yours, power is yours. Honor is yours. Sovereignty is yours. And we are yours. There's been days lately, God, we've wanted you to come back because we're weary of this world. Today doesn't feel like one of those days. Today feels like we want you to come back because we love you, Jesus. And we long to see you face to face. King of kings, Lord of lords, we sing to you now in Jesus' name. Come on, church. Let's set our hearts on the Lord.